0: Welcome to Tick Boot Camp's podcast. Uh, this is episode three of our podcast, and the title of this podcast is Tick Picks. Uh, my name is Rich Johannesson.
1: I'm Matt Sabatello. And today
0: we're going to talk a little bit about pictures of ticks and why ticks uh, should be um, memorialized, or a picture of a tick that's biting you may be memorialized. Now, we all know, Matt, that a picture of a tick is ugly. Regardless of the lighting, the angle of the image, or the size of the tick, you only get ugly. Ticks are not alone. Their cousins, spiders, and scorpions round out a really ugly family tree. Our reaction to ticks and their cousins is part of our encoded defense system. We automatically feel creepy when we see a tick. Recently, Matt, my secretary shared with me a story about an extreme reaction she had to a tick. Her mother discovered uh, a tick was engouged in her back and Kathleen was so disgusted by the tick she physically couldn't remove it. She had to call a neighbor to assist her in removing the tick. So that question, uh, so the question, Matt, that I think begs to be asked is, why would anyone take a picture of a tick? Especially one that's bitten them.
1: Yeah, as as, ir- as gross as it sounds, it's best to take a photo of the tick and keep it because you never know when you may need it. So you want to preserve as much information as possible about the tick that has bitten you and because you may need it down the road. You don't know. So, Matt, when I was
0: bitten by my tick and I called you about um, what steps I should take, you actually didn't ask me to take a picture of the tick. You you recommended that I preserve the tick um, in uh, in a Ziploc bag.
1: That's right, yeah, because... Once you preserve it, there are a lot of different things you can do with it. Um, and my immediate reaction was just preserve the tick. You may need it, and who knows what we're going to do with this tick down the road.
0: And of course, I did. I did share the uh, tick with my uh, with my doctor's office, with the physician's assistant that I that I worked with. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later on in the in the podcast. But Matt, you actually had a really good idea recently um, about what we should do with the tick. And can you share with our listeners what your recommendation was?
1: Yeah, so from our research, we found that the University of Rhode Island has a website called Tick Encounter Resources, which allows people who were bitten by a tick and have removed the tick to actually take a photo of it and send it off to them for analysis. So, as creepy as it sounds, we took your tick that was about, what, six months old at the time, Rich, maybe, right? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, about. Yeah, And yeah. it was missing all of its legs, right? It, it just had its little palps <laughs> popping out of the front. Well, the, the legs
0: were in the bag. They had just fallen off of the yeah, tick. They were
1: still there, but not attached. And when we took it out, I have to say... I didn't think at the time I was going to be affected the way I was. I was so grossed out, I didn't want to go near it. And when I was taking the photo, I was just hesitant to even get close to it with my, ca- with my camera, and it was just such a weird reaction that I felt. So
0: Matt, let's, let's walk this back. So we discovered this Tick and Counter Resource Center from the University of Rhode Island, and, um, and you suggested that I should take my uh, my tick out of its, uh, out of its drawer,
1: and you, and, you, uh, and you wanted to take a picture of it for what reason? So if we take the photo of the tick, you can actually send it off to Tick Encounter over at University of Rhode Island, great free service. And typically within two to three days, they'll come back to you with a customized report about the tick, what type of tick it is and the diseases it may carry. So we happen to do it on a Sunday, not expecting much. And um, you know, I, I remember leaving that day and telling you Rich, you better send me that email as soon as you get it. I can't wait to see it. All right, and so,
0: so we did we did uh, we did send the, the tick picture or the tick pic to the University of Rhode Island. And uh, and why don't you outline for our listeners what we saw first in order to be able to send out the, the picture. So you took the picture, we opened up the website, and what did we see on the website? Yep,
1: so you open up the website, it's pretty simple, it's tickencounter.org forward slash tick underscore testing, or you can go right to the main site and click on it. And right away it says, is my tick risky? TickSpotter helps identify the type of tick and assesses the riskiness of your tick encounter. Submit a picture to tick spotters and receive a customized reply full of best practice, next steps, and advice in just one to three days. So we clicked on that link. We answered a couple of questions about uh, the encounter, where we are, our location, uh, attached the photo of the tick, do um, If we knew what kind of tick it was at the time we thought we knew, but we weren't 100% certain. If we knew what age it was, you know, based on an adult, was it, was it a larva tick, uh, when you found it, when you were bitten, and a whole bunch of other questions about geography. Are you in the United States? If so, what zip code and what's your email address?
0: So Matt, as soon as we filled out that
1: form and you attached the
0: picture to the, um, to the website, we then got an auto-response from uh, the University of Rhode Island's uh, Tick Resource Center.
1: That's correct. So we immediately got a response on the webpage, too, that said, Thank you for your submission. You will receive an automated email from us with the tick bite information. If you submitted a picture, we'll follow up with a customized email to help you assess your risk before testing. It generally takes one to three days for a staff member to review your tick picture, and we'll write an assessment. Okay, Matt, and then after, after we got that
0: response... We got another auto response from uh, from the Rhode Island Tick Encounter Program.
1: That's right. So, so I think almost immediately you got an email saying greetings and thank you for your recent tick spotter submission, and it gave an ID number. So apparently, Rich was fifty seven thousand three hundred eighty, which I uh, I take to mean that there's been fifty seven thousand three hundred eighty tick submissions of photos through their service. And at some point, perhaps we should uh, call these folks and see if we can interview them as part of this podcast. That'd be great. Yeah. And they noted that they're currently experiencing high submission volumes, so responses may take longer than 24 to 36 hours to receive. They apologized and encouraged us to review their website for more information, and they gave us some basic information about ticks and and um, staying safe with ticks and, and trying to protect yourself from Lyme disease. So at that point, we figured out we're not going to hear anything back today. It's a Sunday. We kind of, you know, we departed. And um, what happened then, Rich? So, so I had gotten <laughs>
0: home... Probably 15, 20 minutes after um, after we had departed and uh, and I had received an email with the um, with
1: the analysis. That's right. So uh, I forwarded that to you, Matt, and Yep, and, now and of course, yep, I called you right away, and we had yeah. to talk about it because we were both very excited about it. So uh, it came back right away that the tick you encountered was an adult female lone star tick, which actually you were spot on, Rich, with your prediction on that. And it came back saying that this this tick would not Transmit Lyme disease to you, Rich. That it actually had a 10 percent chance of carrying a disease called Erychlia. and this disease has very similar symptoms to Lyme disease, but it's just another tick-borne disease that you can get from a tick bite. So that 10 percent chance that was there was was very minimal. And of course, you know as well, many as well. I shouldn't it's, say It's minimal.
0: If if you if you don't get it, it's uh, it's
1: yeah, it can destroy it can ruin yeah. you. So, so as you
0: know. So so Matt, let me let me just tell you what my reaction was. I, I do want to share with our listeners what my reaction was. So. Of, of course for those of you who did not uh, listen to our earlier podcast and i and i heard you to uh, i did share with uh with our listeners my origin story and my origin story included um, a visit to the doctor's office to uh, to meet with a physician's assistant some four days after I was initially bitten i did call and ask for an immediate appointment and I was also told that I couldn't see a doctor for over uh, over three weeks so when I get to the when I get to the uh, doctor's appointment I, I take out the tick that Matt recommended that i bring with me to the doctor's office I show it to the physician's assistant he looks at it he, he hands it back to me I hand it back to him again and I point out to him that the is a white spot on the back of the tick. He says, that's interesting. He hands it back to me. And I did ask him whether or not the species of the tick would be significant in the way that he would diagnose and treat me. And he said no. So my my reaction as soon as I read this report that I had gotten back from tick spotters was that I was really pissed off. And the reason I was pissed off is because my anxiety about Lyme disease was really high. And it was really high for a long time because I I was, I was concerned about it when I was bitten. I was concerned about it when I had got, gone to see the doctor. And more importantly, I was concerned about it for a long period of time after I went to the doctor's office because what I was told was that, uh, that the diagnostic testing that was available to me would only uh, provide me with, uh, with um, a diagnosis of Lyme disease if I had in fact contracted Lyme disease that they could only test the antibodies. So I had this six week window after I was tested to um, to um, determine whether or not I had Lyme disease, to uh, you know, to have even you know another six weeks of anxiety, and if this doctor's office and this physician's assistant had any basic level of competence, he would have been able to tell me when he looked at the tick. I was not going to contract Lyme disease. Now he would have had to tell me that I would have um, possibly had contracted another um, tick disease. He may have you know, warned me to be concerned about some other symptoms that may or may not have happened in a shorter period of time, but I didn't have that. I, I received the uh, advice that I would be uh, welcomed back and, and that I should make an appointment to come back in six weeks to take a blood test to determine whether I had Lyme disease. So I was really pissed off as soon as I received this report, Matt.
1: Yeah, and what's most surprising to me, Rich, is, I mean, upon a, a, your first Google search for a tick with a spot on its back, which we did, and I'm actually gonna pull up, we have a picture of your tick here, and oh, it's just, just, just gross. I mean, it's, it's, it's but when, when you Google this, it's clear that a tick with a spot on its back that looks like that is a Lone Star tick. So if you and I can do a Google search in less than 10 seconds to find that out, wouldn't you think a doctor in an area like Long Island, New York, would know what a Lone Star tick is and what type of disease it carries? So it's really scary when you think about that. Well, and, you know, Matt, the other other piece of this, of
0: course, is um, I wasn't given the information about the other diseases that I may have contracted from this tick. Now, of course, one of the other concerns that, you know, we should have, uh, I should have been made aware of from this doctor was that I could have also contracted uh, a, a meat allergy, the the alpha gal meat allergy. Now we know people have died from anaphylactic shock as a consequence of having these meat allergies. Yeah. I was not warned that um, that there was the possibility that I could have um, suffered. Uh, a meat allergy, and I was not warned to be concerned about the symptoms. So not only wasn't I wasn't I told that I could not have gotten Lyme disease, and not only wasn't I told that that there was another disease that would have had symptoms that were similar to Lyme that may have been may have um, begun to uh, present. But I was also in a position where I could have um, eaten a red meat meal, yeah. and I could have had an allergic reaction to this red meat meal. And what what you know we're starting to see when we look at the uh, research that's being done, or at least the the media presentation of of this uh, of this alpha gal um, meat allergy, is that there are people who are dying from the meat allergy because they don't recognize that
1: ingesting meat is what's causing the allergic reaction. That's right, and 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 the the scary part is you could ingest red meat and have a reaction hours later. So we we've, you know, we've read stories of countless people who have ingested red meat and hours later they can't breathe, they have this this allergic reaction, and they can't figure out why, and eventually. You know, they come to the conclusion that it's from it's from a meat allergy from a lone star tick, but it's not going to be a direct cor- correspondence between I was eating red meat and now I had an allergic reaction. So it's hard to really put the, put the connection there together. So, so
0: now the the good news about this tick spotter report is it gave us some additional information that. for example, it did give us the gender of the tick. Yep, and it also gave us a an outline of how long the tick um, had been um, had been. You know,
1: feeding on you, feeding on me,
0: <laughs> uh, you know, before it had been detached. And, it, and what, the, what the report says is that it appears that this one was attached and feeding for about one day or less. Now, that's another piece of information that the doctor should have considered, when giving me the advice that he was giving me. Because, well, because the data demonstrates, or I should say the research data demonstrates, that I would have had to have had the tick feeding on me for at least 24 hours probably 36 hours for me to contract Lyme disease. So even yep. if this doctor didn't know the species of the tick and didn't know that this this species of tick could not have given me Lyme disease and didn't know that this species of tick could have given me other diseases or other uh, allergic reactions that I should have been aware of and taken into consideration during the course of the next few days or weeks uh, of my life, but even more importantly, he could have also put my mind at ease by telling me that the size of the tick suggested it was feeding on me for an insufficient amount of time for me to have contracted Lyme disease, even if it was a
1: Lyme disease carrying tick. Yeah, and not only that. So th- this report is really good because it goes on to tell you, Rich, that uh, adult and and you know baby lone star ticks can transmit Borrelia germs in as little as six hours. So that was a, a bolded red statement in there. Um, but then it went on to note that it, it's only in 10% of bites from a lone star tick is it going to transmit this disease on average? And, and that's, I think, that's, but Matt, I
0: think I disagree with you on the 10%. I think 10% is a pretty high percentage, and it's not. True. there aren't odds odds that I would like to take. It's like having a, um, you know, a one in 10, one in ten chance of blowing your brains out if you that, had a bullet in, in, in a gun. I wouldn't yeah. take that chance. So yeah, uh, uh, so, that's a very so good the, point. So the the uh, next paragraph, which you're now reading, of course, uh, caused me to have uh, a negative reaction to my doctor as well. Because look, we we, we know from the report that we had gotten from, from the tick encounter that the tick was um, feeding on me for less than a day. So Lyme disease is off the table. However, we also know that Euryclea is um, is a... Um, a disease that I could have contracted from this particular tick if it had been feeding on me for six hours and the report could not discern whether or not it was six or greater hours. So that's information the doctor should have given me right. and that's information that I should have been prepared to um, to take into consideration when symptomology did or did not present itself over the course of the next six weeks between the time that I went to see the doctor and the time that I uh, I was going to go back for my Lyme test, which again begs another question, Matt. So six weeks after um, my initial visit to the doctor's office, I went back and um, and I took a blood test. Right, And I was told that the blood test would then um, give me the results of whether or not I had Lyme disease or not. And uh, within a few days of me taking the blood test, I don't recall exactly when uh, how long after, I did receive a call from the doctor's office and they said, congratulations, Mr. Johansson, you do not have Lyme disease.
1: Yep, it, and, and I call BS on that, Rich, because as we've learned, these Lyme tests are horribly inaccurate. And you know so, some studies suggest they're 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 over 50% inaccurate, uh, inaccurate, and I and I tend to believe that. And some other studies suggest they're 80% or higher inaccurate. So it really depends on the the type, of, you know, the strain of Lyme disease. Not to get too detailed, but there's so many factors that can determine a false, uh, you know. A, a...
0: Well, but Matt, I you know the but it begs the question: Should I've even taken the test? Right. I don't know
1: what test I took.
0: I don't know if they tested for Borrelia. I don't know yep. if they tested for anything else that they could have tested. But why test me for Lyme disease? When A the tick wasn't yes. feeding on me long enough, and B the species of tick did not carry Lyme disease, right? Why give me the why give me the blood test? So you know my reaction when I read when I read the uh, report from the tick encounter at, at from URI was no shit Sherlock. Of course I didn't have Lyme disease <laughs> yep. because I didn't get bitten by a tick that carried Lyme disease. That's so right. you know the the even even giving me the blood test was in my view. You know, a, a waste of my time, a waste of my money, and certainly a waste of my insurance carrier's money. And yes. it was driven by a failure on the part of the doctor's office um, to have the tools necessary to, um, to determine what the proper diagnostic test should be and what the proper treatment pro- protocol should be. Now, of course, the, the, you know, the last step in this process, because I did share with our listeners uh, in the past, that, um, that I was, I was um, prescribed the course of doxycycline. Right. And uh, what the doctor, doctor's assistant or the physician's assistant said to me was that if I had gone to his office earlier, I could have received a single dose of doxycycline, and that would have had the same effect of what would what turned out to be a five-day course of doxycycline.
1: But Rich, didn't you call them the day you were bit, and I did. and and I did. they didn't tell you oh, I'm going to call well, on a prescription for you for a dose? Well,
0: and that's of course that's one of the issues that we we have to talk with our viewers about. There are a couple of uh, I should say our listeners. Uh, there are a couple of of of, of prophylactic tex- tests. Uh, I'm sorry, prophylactic. Um, uh, pieces that have could have put in place where I didn't need to visit with a doctor. They could have called in a prescription for t- doxycycline that day. Um, right. and Or, and we're going to have to talk a little bit about uh, some of the research that's showing that there are some creams that are available. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, th- I think it's uh, a, z- a zithromycin cream yeah. that would have the same effect if it was put on the spot where the tick had bitten me within within 72 hours it would have had the same effect so i could have avoided um the the contact with a doctor yeah i could have had a prescription that would have allowed me to um, to have the the benefit of the doxycycline immediately, immediately yeah, and um, and I wouldn't have had to deal with all of these all of these issues that you know that we are we're, we're talking about here. So this was this was an absolute failure on the part of my of of my doctor's office, and um, and it certainly was uh, borne out by all the information that we had gotten from the RI um, uh, results. But uh, so the good news is, folks, that in the event that you're bitten by a tick. If you take a couple of really simple steps, preserving your tick, taking a picture of your tick, uploading your information into the University of Rhode Island site, and then receiving that information back to you before you go to visit with your doctor, you're going to be in a much better position to determine what type of uh, diagnostic um, uh Protocol should be put in place, and what type of prophylactic medications, if any, should be put in place, and that's a wonderful result. So, but now if you look a little bit further down in the in, in this report, Matt, um, they then recommend that you you log on to their, um, you know, they have some some hyperlinks here. You you hit the hyperlink, and it takes you over to their site, and this is where I'll have to tell you that. The report had me had me very un, unhappy with my doctor, but then when I linked over to the URI site, I felt like I was being waterboarded with information. And this, this is consistent with a lot of what I was feeling when I was doing my research before um, I, I went to the doctor and then, uh, between, you know, the bite and the doctor and then some of the research afterwards, there's just so much information and it's so, you know, scientifically oriented and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's so overwhelming that even though I've been doing research for months and months and months now, we have started to do this podcast together. I was overwhelmed when I got to the website, it was just much, much too much information. So I have to, I have to thank the folks at the university of rhode island for their wonderful service that provided me with a great deal of information very very quickly but uh, i have to recommend to them that perhaps they reorganize their site so that when you're looking for actionable information after you get their report that you can you can get that actionable information Directly connected to your report and in a more uh, more understandable
1: format rather than right. this very academic um, format that uh, I mean, was available. He, here's an example of a heading that we're looking at right now just from clicking on one of the links in the, in the email responses. Transmission dynamics of Borrelia Defori SS during the key third day of feeding by nymphal Ixodes scapularis. Acari Ixodidae and honestly, I, I don't know what some of that means and we've been researching this for quite a while now So some of them are just scientific names for a tick like the Exodus scapularis But it's really not something you can easily digest and there's a lot of it's very intimidating and it's a lot of information so um, You know it, 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 on one hand you can have information overload and on the other hand you can have no information at all like rich experience with his doctor so there needs to be a happy medium here somewhere, but the University of Rhode Island has a really great service. We really recommend you guys take advantage of that. And and if you get bitten by a tick, certainly it's free. Take a picture, send it off to be reviewed, um, and get and get that feedback, and bring that with you to your doctor, and and then use that as as a starting point to see what your next steps are to uh, take proper action. And and uh, it's it's a really great service, and we recommend you take a look at so it. So now we're
0: going to have to put up a product review on our website. Our website is
1: www.tickcamp.com.
0: We'll put up a review of this of the site, the service, and. And we'll hopefully give you a quick, actionable way of getting this information uh, through the review that we're going to put up on our site. So uh, I want to, again, thanks to folks from at the University of Rhode Island for this wonderful service. Uh, I, I think it's a, a great uh, service to the public. I'm Absolutely. hoping folks in the medical community will begin to use it themselves and to recommend that their... Um, their patients uh, use this. What I'm planning to do, Matt, is um, to contact my doctor's office. I'm going to ask them to send me a copy of the um, blood test that they yes. had, uh, they had um, offered to me. I'm going to ask them for copies of the doctor's notes, and we'll do another podcast in the future uh, outlining what what the um, tests were, what the results were, and we'll talk about uh, what options Folks uh, should consider when uh, they are presented with uh, blood test options. So for now, uh, this is Richard Hannison and Matt Sabatello signing off on podcast number three Tick Picks.